Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody with Gora Browning. Jared, the primary guy. And it's another Bitcoin episode, but uh, Jared just informed me he has news. Yeah. And I'm eager to hear it. I've got new neighbors. Which, in and of itself, isn't really newsworthy, if that were all that it was. But, my new neighbors are homeless. And they have taken in uh, the woods behind my house, just owned by the energy company, as their home. Wait, 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 wait. You're breaking up a little bit, but are the new neighbors hobos? Is that what... They're homeless, yeah. They're just living in a tent in the woods behind my house. Oh, that's a little worrisome. Right? Yes, it is. Ugh. So I guess okay. So it, has anything happened with that, or, or are they just living in a tent? Yeah, no, it's just been a tent within visible distance from my backyard. All that has happened so far is I have to be more careful where I pee outside so that I'm not pointing my wiener at strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how you get them to leave. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> Guns suggested uh, throwing a civilian flashbang their direction. Maybe. Because apparently that's a thing. I was going to say you could call the electric company, but I would be worried that they would call the cops, and I don't like yeah. cops. That that was my thought as well. It's like, y- y'all stay over there, I stay here, and we don't have a problem. Because that, that's always been my uh, thought process. So I don't point a cop at anybody I don't want that. Right. Yeah. I don't want them dead. I want them to have a better life and not be 100 yards from my backyard where I have right. a wife here. Yeah. Huh. I wonder... Um, do, you, do you have... What kind of fence do you have on your backyard? It's just a chain link, but we did... We took... I don't even know what to call it, really. We put, like, this mesh thing uh, around the pool area. Just so when you're in the pool, you don't see all of the brush and absurd numbers of sticks we've just thrown over the fence. Um, so that's <laughs> that's now the safe area for outdoor peeing. The rest of it, all the way to the <laughs> chicken coop, is just regular chain link. Gotcha. Well, I was going to say, if you're uh, really worried about it, you could, I guess, put a strand of uh, electrified high tensile wire above, like, on, you know is above the fence. That's true. It's too overgrown around the fence, though. I think it would end up grounding out. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. But 
there is a gate from my backyard into the woods, um, which is difficult to open on its own. But I also had a spare uh, piece of like a section of picket fence whenever I put that up that I just laid in front of that. So from the outside, it's a real pain in the ass to get in. If you don't, like you'd have to move that picket fence and it'd be loud and the dogs would be aware and then I would be aware and you would not want to mm. proceed further. Gotcha. Okay, well. Yeah, so that's what I'm dealing nothing with nothing comes of this. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Jeez. And apologies for my lower right, audio so gonna... quality today. Um, I don't have my microphone at the moment because I'm in the library so I can keep an eye on my work computer because it may or may not be during work hours right now and keep an eye on the dogs. Right. Well, I was going to say, speaking of that, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, despite the breaking in and out, we can get through this. Man, why is, I, I'm blaming your internet for this. Dude, I upgraded that shit too. And then today <laughs> I was like, literally I sent a message in Discord and then I watched it like take a minute to actually like send. And I was like, are you serious? So what I'm like, hearing is your ISP got more money from you and made the quality yes. worse. <laughs> yes. And the ISP is the only ISP that serves better than basic like 10 Mbps internet here. Oh, yeah. You gotta location. love that. I want to die. I I'm so done with it. I want to go to the other side of town where they have AT&T. And I don't even like AT&T, but I'm starting to appreciate them. Yeah, I don't either. That's what I've got right now, and it's it's fine for the first year, and then it's more expensive if you don't want to deal with switching back and forth. We've got well, two. We've got two high speeds here, and if I keep switching back and forth between them, I can maintain the fifty dollars a month for terabyte or for gigabyte internet. But if I right. don't want to go through that hassle every single year, then I'm stuck at a higher price. Right. Well, what annoyed me about mine was like. You know, you kind of know that that's going to happen, but then I got to year two, and they bumped it up again, or not? What would you call it? Uh, so there's the first year, which is the introductory pricing. Then there's the normal pricing. So year three is what I'm on now, and it just crossed over because I've I've lived at this house for two years now. So year three now, uh, bumped it up again without telling me. There was like no email notification or anything. And I didn't know that it was coming because I thought that they only did that once. Lovely. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm going to upgrade my internet if I'm going to have to pay for it anyway. And then, uh, so I'm going to have to figure something out. Good old monopolies. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's just as bad as the monopoly on energy in this town. Anyway. Gross. Okay, so yeah, yep, 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 yep. Uh, Bitcoin fixes this. There we go. Segway. There we go. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, so <laughs> last time we did uh, BIP thirty seven, which was the SPV client uh, using Bloom filters, and uh, we noted at the end that there were other things now that uh, we're trying to do the same but better. Um, so we're still talking about light clients, which, you know, I've already stated my opinion on that and we can, you know, reiterate as we go along, but, uh, I'm just going to read this opening paragraph from 
one of the blog posts on Lightning when they first came out with this. Or I guess this is a so it was introduced in May of 2017, and this was this article, this blog post was written over of 2018. But it's just kind of an explainer thing that I think is a good place to start. So, which link are you working um, off of? Uh, this was a link from the Bitcoin.it article that you sent me. You didn't actually have this link, I don't think. This is um, uh, let me put it in there Thanks. so that you can look at it if you want to. But it was in the bottom. They've got a list of sources, you know, because it's a wiki article. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I read through this one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this was going to be a cold open, but we had to talk about hobos. <laughs> yeah, my bad. I actually uh, wanted and I, I pissed myself off because earlier today I was thinking that we would open this uh, episode saying, welcome back to Revolution Solution, the podcast that's read more about Bitcoin improvement protocols than any other podcast you know. But then I got <laughs> right. We I, should. Uh, yep. Yeah, I I mixed up my uh, priorities there. So here we are. Oh yeah, that reminds me of something I need to correct. Uh, I keep saying protocol because it sounds right, but it's actually proposal. proposal so that doesn't necessarily yeah, it mean it doesn't necessarily mean that it's been accepted or you know incorporated into Bitcoin Core. So. Correct, and the majority have not been accepted. Right. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of ideas out there, and not a whole lot of. Uh, great implementations right which is probably so, the best you want to want to propose all right. the things and then test them and see you know if this mm -hmm. is actually worth being adopted across the entire network because that's a that's a huge step yeah well and and that's why I like a lot of the stuff that only adds a little bit that doesn't like detract from the network itself um th those ones tend to work i think neutrino this one actually might have been imp implemented because it's actually you know it's not doing anything to bitcoin really at all it's sort of making the bitcoin core like do some extra stuff on top of it like hey you know organize the information this way you know mm -hmm. it's like okay whatever you know but uh we'll get right into it so several of today's top mobile bitcoin wallets are built on centralized services that present significant security with risks as a wise man said more than once, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Centralized services also risk exposure of users' financial information, i.e. transaction histories. On the other hand, centralized services are faster, easier to use, and work for new users with small amounts of Bitcoin. As a longtime experienced Bitcoiner, Alice has quite a few friends who have lost money with centralized services, so she decides to continue on her quest for a wallet that gives her full control of her Bitcoins. And that's uh, that's actually a really good place to start. Um, you know, not your keys, not your coins. Correct. Obviously, you know, I've said a lot uh, here before about, you know, making sure that you actually are the only person who has your keys. Um, and that is going to become important as we go along here. So. Oh, yes. To just to interject on this topic, my fucking boomer dad. Love you, dad. If you listen to this, he knows I have a podcast. I don't usually say more than that. Um, he he will conflate grayscale Bitcoin with owning Bitcoin, but also uh -huh. now that my brother's gotten him into trading shit coins, he has gotten a ledger to put those into his own custody. Oh so, God! It, it it is incredible. Like the the. I love how I love yeah. how like you 
it's going to be a long, hard trek is what it sounds like, because he was like unwilling to consider, uh, you know, holding it outside of like GBTC. Right. And now because it's, oh, we're doing day trading and stuff. I need to secure it. So here's this ledger. And then that just seems seems to be acceptable. But like actually learning what how the heck the thing works is not acceptable. He does not care at all how it works. He's trying to maximize dollars. So it's just it's just gambling. OK. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I really don't care stocks as well. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, he, I really he don't care about crypto the... as and I, that's what I told him basically. Like the rest of crypto is stocks, but it trades twenty four hours a day with more manipulation. Right. Oh man. Oh, I got here. Here's one to end it on. Uh, I had a coworker say something to me the other day that we can uh, get into when we're done doing the important stuff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, all right, so I'm going to read one more paragraph from this because it's. Uh... Yeah, so the following paragraph is the other existing option for users like Alice is wallets based on simple payment verification or BIP 37. SPV wallets don't have the centralized security risks noted above, but they suffer from privacy problems of their own, which we talked about before. In addition, these current generation of SPV wallets tend to be slower and more difficult to use than their centralized counterparts. Alice doesn't like sluggish apps and she values her financial privacy, so she hasn't been satisfied with these wallets e either. Incredibly, it's now been six years as of 2018 since the last improvement proposal directed at mobile platforms was created. Despite Bitcoin's exponential growth in adoption and the ever-increasing ubiquity of mobile devices, to address the various issues described above, Lightning Labs is—I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name—but it's his username is Roast Beef, and Alex Axelrod along with Jim Posen, formerly of Coinbase, proposed the Neutrino protocol, BIP-157 and BIP-158. <clears throat> so, let's see. So, yeah, Neutrino is specific to Lightning, kind of. Like, it's it's really useful for Lightning, and it um, takes advantage of some of the things that happened with SegWit, uh, just like Lightning does in order to get its job done, so... Yes, that's the only context um, I'd only context I'd heard about Neutrino before this mm -hmm. was in relation to Lightning. Yeah, and I hadn't really like I understood that Neutrino was like a lightweight way to do Bitcoin, but I didn't really understand how it worked until I read this. And um and to be honest, I, I don't have like as much of a hardcore opinion on this versus Bit thirty seven. I'm just kind of like, eh. I probably won't use it because my I, I do have experience with it now and it just hasn't been great. Yeah, um, I have no experience with it, but I have a node and will connect anything I care about to that node. Right. Well, so I don't so have to consider this trade-off. The um well that too, right? But uh it the wallets like I used to recommend Phoenix a lot or uh, Breeze and you know, wallets like that. I think Wallet of Satoshi as well. The ones that are considered like, you know, they're full Lightning implementations running on a Light node in your phone. Uh, yes, but my experience with them has been garbage so far. Uh, not with necessarily the Neutrino part of it, but the actual Lightning part of it sucked because you're using you're using a company's autopilots to connect the lightning node for you and yep. it's really hard to get things done when you don't have direct control of it um it's just not foolproof but um i guess you could use neutrino 
in just a regular Bitcoin wallet way, not just for Lightning. So uh, before I dive in any further, I will explain the SegWit thing again. So the what SegWit did, aside from slight, slightly increasing the block size um, by rearranging the data, was it actually segregated, which is where SegWit comes from, the witness, uh, which is the the witness data is the actual like signatures, cryptographic signatures um, from the transaction data. So if you can think of it like, uh, you know, here's this big long contract and I'm just going to skip the last page and see if it's signed. That's kind of, you know, how this works. So you, you put the signatures at the top where everybody can see them and it's all good to go. And then the transaction data is down below. Um, and you know this gets really important for a neutrino because um when you're doing light wallets what you're trying to do is get your transaction data look and see that something's signed um without having to like in the original bitcoin what you would have had to do before segwit is um like actually validate and cryptographically validate every single block just to like get the new block in whereas now we sort of have like a we can use the witness data as like a map to see whether or not it connects and then we can go look at the transaction data um i don't know if that's making sense but that's kind of how i look at it with neutrino because what they do is they well we'll get into it <laughs> they am i making any sense so far Yep, I'm following you so far. Okay. Um, let me see. So, I don't know if I want to do. Should Should we read the like the benefits? Like, keep reading this blog article here, or do we want to actually go read like the BIP one fifty seven abstract? Mm, yeah, let's hop into the abstract. I think. I don't. I don't know what's better. Let me see here. I think it explains it well. Okay. All right. Well, here's the BIP 157 abstract. So this BIP describes a new light client protocol in Bitcoin that improves upon currently available options. The standard light client protocol in use today defined in BIP 37 has known flaws that weaken the security and privacy of clients and allow denial of service attack vectors on full nodes. The new protocol overcomes these issues by allowing light clients to obtain compact probabilistic filters of block content from full nodes and download full blocks if the filter matches relevant data. New peer-to-peer -peer messages empower light clients to securely sync the blockchain without relying on a trusted source. This BIP also defines a filter header, which serves as a commitment to all filters for previous blocks and provides the ability to efficiently detect malicious or faulty peers serving invalid filters. The resulting protocol guarantees that light clients with at least one honest peer are able to identify the correct block filters. Um, there's a lot in that. Um, when it comes to the filters, I did find out way further down in this page. Uh, that's explained better. So, let's see. And then, of course, one, BIP 158, which is part of 157, really, is the BIP that describes a structure for compact filters on block data for use in the BIP 157 light client protocol. The filter construction and 
proposed is an alternative to bloom filters as used in BIP 37 that minimizes filter size by using Gollum rice and coating for compression. This document specifies one initial filter type based on this construction that enables basic wallets and applications with more advanced smart contracts. Okay. Um, it's not really, so the smart contract part of that is really just kind of a throwaway. Like you can basically use it for more complex things down the road, but really this is just giving you the basic, um, here's how we're going to encode these filters uh, to compress them so that uh, the client described in 157 can actually access them easily and quickly. It's really what it comes down to. Okay. And could you explain to me again for the audience what BIP 158 is adding that w that 157 didn't have? Well, this is why I say 158 really is sort of like a subset of 157. So right. 157 doesn't have the, the actual code for Bitcoin Core in it. It just has the implementation of um, like, here's how the client works and, and gets its data and, you know, does stuff with it. Whereas 158 is saying, hey, here's the actual code that we need to give Bitcoin Core so that it can serve that data to the client. So um, think of it this way. So Bitcoin Core normally downloads all the blocks, verifies them, puts them in a big dump bin called the uh, chain folder under .bitcoin, which is the persistent data folder for Bitcoin. Um, and then there's the index that it builds. And the index basically allows it to go search that pile of stuff in an efficient way, kind of like putting, you know, like the Dewey Decimal System or the, um, you know, like alphabetizing it or whatever. So, um, what BIP158 does is it says, okay, we found a way to basically like spin up this data into a more compressed form, this, this index into a more compressed form so that uh, we can send little tiny bits of data to the phone and the phone can, you know, decide if there's a transaction in there that it needs. So like, my phone, let's say I'm receiving Bitcoin and I, I need to see if that transaction shows, you know, gets confirmed. And when it gets confirmed, it ends up in a block and that block is then put in, you know, all of the, it's, it's cryptographically added to the blockchain, which is copied to every node. Um, the nodes then, ha they index it with this new like little, well, they have their they have their index with the headers, and then the headers get indexed into uh, what are called. Let me see, what are they called again? GCS, which is the Gollum Rice coding. Uh, what's the full name? Gollum coded sets is the full name. So, yeah. uh, the GCS header. So basically, they they've got the headers. the The block is made up of transactions, witnesses, and headers. So they, the header says, okay, here's how the, all of the train cars are linked together. And then the the transactions are like the stuff in the train car. Um, obviously, the, the witness data is also in there. I guess you can think of the witness data like the bill of lading, um, if anybody knows what that is. <laughs> like the, the little yeah. inventory sheet with the stuff on it and all that. Um, 
and the company signatures on it, mm -hmm. which is the important part. Okay, so so you've got the the chain links, the bill of lading, and the actual cargo. Um, what they've done is they've said, okay, the bill of lading and the cargo are good because it's being included in the blockchain and it's part of the longest chain. So all we care about right now is the headers, and we're gonna add this piece of code to Bitcoin Core that says take those headers and make really tiny headers out of it. And then because of the way that it's constructed, you can still actually like figure out if you if like your stuff is in there, I guess. I don't know how to explain this. Um it kind of made sense when I was reading how it works. If you want to go read the uh, GitHub page for BIP158, it's really complicated though and there's a lot of math going on. Um, but it's basically like kind of a way to like make a smaller number that you can still reverse engineer to figure out what's in there. Um, but so you, you look at the header and you say, okay, do I need this block or not? And if you do, then you tell the Bitcoin node you're connected to, hey, I want to download that block. And so instead of telling it, hey, I want to look for these transactions, you're just saying, hey, I want this block. So the privacy improvement, quote unquote, is that you're downloading just a random block, which is good because, you know, you, the anonymity set now is all of the transactions in the block, which is not bad. If a block is full, we're talking anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 transactions. Um, and it's way better than the garbage implementation of Bloom filters that was done with Bit37. Yes, agreed. Especially the way it was um, implemented. Like, even theoretically, Bloom filters were uh, less good or worse than the client-side block filtering, but the actual implementations of Bloom filters were horrible. Right. Yeah, well, but even, yeah, so, like, even the concept of bloom filters to me was wrong because you're still giving because what you're doing is you're giving a list of transactions to look for so one of those transactions is yours right mm -hmm. um and you're just trying to like obfuscate which one was yours whereas with this one you're just grabbing blocks which is not bad at all uh my criticism though remains the same from the last episode on this which is that you know you're, uh, how do I put this? So like, first off, like if a block is full, that's great. But if a block is like half full, then you're only getting half the privacy. Right. And ultimately, if we're worried about privacy, running your own node is going to be a better option. And so again, this is sort of improving on a garbage setup anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely um, trade-offs. Yeah. And like I get like the idea is that mobile phones are ubiquitous and a lot of people have phones, but don't have computers at all nowadays. Like I can pay my bill for my phone. So then why do I need a laptop? You know? Um, but to me, and I guess this is more of a moral statement than anything, but to me, it is worth it to just pay for the damn computer and set it up and you know, whatever. Um, that's why it's also worth it to me to spend time helping my friends do it which I've done for free for like a year now. Yeah, I would also um, say like if you personally can't afford a computer to do it, then going in with a community would be a good alternative. If 
all of you, like say 10 people can pitch in and get a computer and acceptable internet mm. service for it for however long it's needed, that would be an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, because if you know all 10 of those people and only, <clears throat> let's say only two of them are technically inclined, um, you know, it, it's a lot easier to like actually have someone that you can point a finger at when things go wrong as opposed exactly. to being like, oh, this random website on the internet that was serving me information lied to me. Who do I sue? I don't know. Right. right. Like I could exactly. go over, you, you could figure out where I live and find, you know, like, you know where I live, actually. Yeah, I've got your you've sent me things in the mail. Yeah, you've sent me things in the mail. So, like, you've got my address, and you could come and, you know, break my legs if you wanted to. That's right. right. Like, you steal my Bitcoin, ultimately. I'm a $5 wrench attack your ass. <laughs> exactly. $5 wrench attack with no, uh, even if you don't get your Bitcoin back, it was worth it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just uh, just to get the emotional uh, yeah, benefit from that, to, to help compensate for my the, loss. Rothbard's psychic prophet. Yes, I, that's, that's that's another uh, a name that I would go by. Psychic prophet. But yeah, it's pretty hilarious, actually. I would, dude. I would even do a meme on that, and I would make it um, instead of prophet, it'd be prophet with a ph. Yes, that's the way I was meaning it. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that so much. <laughs> oh, uh, see if people dog. get the reference. Oh no! Nope. There he is. He's just being. Obnoxious. Come on, bud. Uh, I was going to say, I hope he's biting the hobo's ankles. We can only hope. It's the sweet one, though. I don't think he would bite anybody. Oh. Aw. Right. Pound, 110 pounds of hunk of hunk of burning love. Mm hmm. Okay, I'm trying to see. <laughs> yeah, this is all a bunch of stuff that only makes sense when I read it, and I'm not going to try to read it out loud. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it was interesting, though. So... Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go back to 157 here. Yep. And then... We basically already read the abstract. Let me see. Is there anything in the motivation that makes sense? So this is... Let me see. Okay, I'm just going to start reading it. So Bitcoin light clients allow applications to read relevant transactions from the blockchain without incurring the full cost of downloading and validating all data. Such applications seek to simultaneously minimize the trust in peers and the amount of bandwidth storage space and computation required. They achieve this by downloading all block headers, verifying the proofs of work, and following the longest proof of work chain. So I don't know what verifying the proofs of work means. That's that's the thing that I've been trying to figure out all day since I've been looking at this. Because um, it, it seems like what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we're just going to like get the block headers, and as long as the block headers match the ones before and they're not broken, then they count. Yeah. Um, and that's the part where I'm like, th this goes back to our criticism, which is, just run your own node. Like, yeah. if, if you run your own node, even a prune node is actually hashing it and making sure that they're valid as opposed to just, you know, 
grabbing the headers and being like, yep, looks looks all right to me, looks all right to me, you know. Yeah, not I mean, actually there's always, comparing there's always the trade offs with these light implementations. Yeah, yeah, ultimately. Um, but it says since block headers are a fixed eighty bytes and are generated every ten minutes on average, the bandwidth required to sync the block headers is minimal. Light clients then download only the blockchain data relevant to them directly from peers and validate inclusion in the header chain. So as opposed to actually, like we said validating the transactions themselves by checking the signature data and all of that they're just looking at the header chain and saying okay this all kind of follows you know let's see there's a bunch of stuff about bit 37 sucks which we agree let's see there's the denial of service attacks um and also the fact that you can't be sure that you're getting all of your data uh, with 37 because a node might just like faulty and give you bad information or, you know, the fact that you're using probabilistic instead of deterministic filters means that you're, you could be missing data. Um, right. And honest nodes that, yeah, honest nodes that actually want to fully service BIP 37 can incur a lot of uh, resource usage because, you know, bloom filters could maliciously craft it, which creates a denial of service vector. Let's see, alternative detailed in this document can be seen as the opposite of BIP37. Instead of the client sending a filter to a full node peer, full nodes generate deterministic filters on block data that are served to the client. A light client can then download an entire block if the filter matches the data it is watching for. Since filters are deterministic, they only need to be constructed once and stored on disk whenever a new block is connected to the chain. This keeps the computation required to serve filters minimal and eliminates the IO asymmetry that makes BIP37 enabled nodes vulnerable. Clients also get better assurance of seeing all relevant transactions because they can check the validity of filters received from peers more easily than they can check completeness of filtered blocks. Finally, client privacy is improved because blocks can be downloaded from any source so that no one peer gets complete information on the data required by a client. Extremely privacy conscious light clients may opt to anonymously fetch blocks using advanced techniques such as private information retrieval, which I still have yet to uh, look into. Yeah, so I looked into that one. Um, it was uh, like a theoretical proposal in the 90s um, for a method of, it, basically the problem is, how can I query a database and retrieve information from it without the server that hosts the database knowing what, what files I copied? And there's a method. What was the last part? Without the server doing what? Without the server knowing what what files I've copied. Like basically what I've checked out. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I think um so one of the there was a medium article that I read where the guy basically just kind of waved it off and was like, Well look, right now you can just use Tor for that because the thing about Tor is that every time you make that connection or like if you have to change connections or like you're on your phone, so you're moving around, if your IP address changes or something like that, um, it reconnects over Tor, which kind of destroys like their ability to track, like, you know, you're not going back and, and connecting multiple times the same way. So it's, you know, 
they they might be able to see what you checked, but they have no idea who they sent it to and all of that kind of thing. Right. One of the at least one of the articles here on BIP one fifty seven talks about using Tor with a different connection for each set uh like for each set of filters, I think is the way they put it. Each set of filters that you grab. Oh, is that the blog post? I think so. But it, it I it think I remember that part. It referenced uh the PIR protocol as a as an yeah. improvement over that. Right. Okay, so let me read this. So this is future developments, block retrieval. Neutrino clients can download blocks or filters from any source, including sources outside the Bitcoin P2P network. Any option to be explored for block retrieval that would further improve privacy is sorry, an option is private information retrieval. Currently, Tor is a more feasible option with new circuits created for each block fetched. Right. Well, again, that's because you're like constantly like going and getting a peer every time you need to get a block. So you're you're not connected to the same people all the time and things like that. And what you would do in this case is you actually tell the client, hey, when you go fetch a block, redo your Tor connection real quick. Right. Um, and that seems fine. Like I, you know, I've, I run everything over Tor pretty much as long as I'm running to Tor hidden services and not to um, ClearNet, ClearNet sites. Right. And yeah, and I'm usually pretty comfortable with that. So um, let's see. There is Neutrino serving Neutrino. So eventually the idea is that, you know, you could actually, because the block headers are you know, part of the like thing that gets distributed out anyways, like they could have a neutrino client like your phone wallet or a light client on your computer, basically acting as a like a side network as as opposed to a side chain, like a side network where like neutrino is doing neutrino stuff on top of Bitcoin stuff. So um instead of the Bitcoin core having to be enabled to serve neutrino, um Neutrino can just keep track of that itself and send it to other Neutrino clients, like, you know, like an extra set of peers, basically, mm -hmm. which seems fine to me. I don't know why you couldn't do that. Um, filter commitments with a soft fork, the hash for each block's GCS filter could be added directly to Bitcoin block headers by miners, eliminating the need for the filter header chain and eliminating adversarial cases where a full node could attempt to send an incorrect filter to a neutrino client. Um, right, so they're saying actually hashing the the GCS filter into the block as opposed to having the client serve that to each other. I don't know. Because um, a lot of this is like peer-to-peer -peer network stuff, and I don't think it's necessary um, to be added to like the actual mining part. But I, I guess I see their point. I don't know. So let me ask you this. Maybe uh, you might understand that you might not. I did not get this. How can these filters be the same for anybody who needs them, but they sniff out different transactions for each person? So, because the what the filter does is it's just it's just like a header. It's just a smaller one. So, what the filter is is it's saying, you know, each block here's like a little tag that we're putting on every block, and so you know what tag you're looking for 
when that block comes out and the tag gets published along with it, your your client says, okay, give me that one. You know, but it's not downloading every block. It only downloads the one with the tag it wants. Okay. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? Kind of. Sorry, my dog is losing it. She's attention deficit. Um, let me see. I guess we should actually just read this post. Yeah, read the how, how it works section. So um, this compression, the GCS filters, allows low bandwidth devices to observe the blockchain and determine if newly mined blocks are relevant to the user's wallet. This step involved, the steps involved in this process are as follows. So uh, the first step one is that the filter is created. So it shows, you know, a block with a block number, and then there's the golem coding that happens. And then you've got a very tiny block that has a filter with a filter number corresponding to the block. See what I'm saying? So it's it's just less data with the same ID number, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Step, step two is that you observe and compare filters. So approximately every 10 minutes, Neutrino clients receive a filter, which they then compare against the user's wallet to determine if there are any new transactions that are relevant to the user. So it's just basically just sitting here waiting, saying, okay, I want the one that, you know, matches my my piece, I guess. I, I, it's like taking a ticket in line at the DMV. Um, and, you know, you don't need your name on it or any of that stuff. Or, your, you know, I've seen the, the ticket machines where you put your phone number in and I'm like, can you just like make me number 136 or whatever? Because it's less work to just give me a piece of paper with a number on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's basically the idea here. It, it's less work to just give you a little ticket stub with a number on it. Um, hmm. Step three, download relevant blocks. If a filter indicates that a block does not contain relevant transactions, the Neutrino client will request the stripped block, which contains all of the transaction data in the block, but excludes signatures or witness data. With the block downloaded, the client can scan the block for the relevant transactions. So again, we're assuming validity because we see it being published by nodes that um, we haven't blocked yet. And uh, you'll see later in this piece, actually, I don't know if it's in this piece, it's in the 157 on uh, GitHub. Uh, later in that, you can see how the client actually will block nodes that um, are seen to be either out of date or publishing bad information because it can double check with other peers and then it'll just yeah. block them. It'll just say, nope, sorry, this is not good. Yeah, that's uh, a great, then... great feature that, I mean, I, I feel like that should be implemented. Just that piece should be standard across the board for wallets. Well, most wallets don't do this, though. Most wallets are simply retrieving information from a single node the the difference between a neutrino node and like blue wallet for example is that a neutrino node is actually discovering bitcoin peers and so there might you know there's eight peers just like bitcoin gotcha um, gotcha i'm following whereas blue wallet is saying i'm gonna pick a random server and just go get info from that yeah yeah okay yeah so uh step four is you apply to the wallet balance um it's obvious 
So uh, note that with this approach, information that directly identifies a user's address is never sent over the network and the matching between the blockchain and the user's wallet is done by the user's software rather than by an untrusted remote node as is the case with Bit37. So if Bit37 was improving on, you know, standard Electrum wallet, random Electrum server by trying to lie to the Electrum server, um, BIP-158 says there's no reason for us to use Electrum servers in the first place. Right, or at least other um, people's Electrum which servers. Which is good. Well, no, it, it doesn't use Electrum servers. It's it's using Bitcoin peers. Right, right, I see what you mean. Yeah, so an Electrum server, and that's that was one of the things, like one of the criticisms of using Electrum as a way to connect remotely, even to your own node, is that Electrum is what they call middleware. So it's a middleman between you and your Bitcoin node. Um, my thing is, is it's pretty open source, so like, and it's really popular, and they've been around a really long time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run my little Electrum Rust server on my Raspberry Pi with my node, and I can connect any wallet to it. And I don't know, it seems all right to me. I don't really, because, you know, Electrum, all, all that does is it creates a, a mobile-friendly index. And as long as you're connecting to your own node, you know, you're better off than connecting to a random node. But, of course, this um, neutrino system bypasses that entirely. And just um, what it what it does, though, is it proposes that Bitcoin Core creates these filters that neutrino wallets can actually use to um you know go find their their own information without necessarily giving you information to watch for does that make sense yeah yeah i'm following you so would you consider uh to tell you my wallet to go look for those transactions all all i'm doing is letting you say hey i got got a new transaction you want it and then i say nope and then I just keep saying no until eventually I say yes. And then I say, yeah, I want that block. Um, syncing. The way Neutrino nodes process new blocks is described above. But when Alice opens her Neutrino-based app for the first time, her app must sync up to the current state of the blockchain. An abbreviated version of this process also takes place when a Neutrino node has been offline and needs to catch up. There are four steps to sync a Neutrino node. Um First, like a regular Bitcoin client or BIP37, a Neutrino client will download and validate the block headers. Um, second, a Neutrino client will concurrently download a chain of filter headers, which is the part from 158, BIP158. Um, so headers from blocks prior to the wallet's creation date are discarded once validated so that on-disk storage is minimal. And then the third step is the download of the GCS filter for each block, starting from when the wallet is created. Total ongoing bandwidth for filters is around 70 megabytes per month, and filters need not be stored. Um, so there's filter headers. So there's actually, so there's the headers, and then there's filter headers, and then there's the filter itself. Um, so it's kind of a like a categorical thing that connects at the top and branches down. Um, and then finally, the Neutrino node will check the filters to determine if there are transactions relevant to the user's wallet. And if so, the stripped blocks will be downloaded and transactions extracted as described above. Um, 
For a new wallet, the, tip, the initial syncing process takes just a few minutes on a typical mobile device. The total amount of blockchain data stored is approximately tens of megabytes compared to about 200 gigabytes currently. <laughs> As of 2018, 200 yes. gigabytes now <laughs> over 500. Um, so I, I see their point, but I guess, you know, this is, again, this is one of those things. It's like, if all you have is a cell phone, using a Neutrino wallet is probably pretty good. Um, but I would strongly encourage anyone, like if you want to do it, like you said, at a community level, even be like, hey, you know, this group of people wants to get together and, you know, put a full Bitcoin node somewhere that's running that they can all use to connect to so that they know they're using good information. Like, for example, if I used even a Neutrino wallet, but I selected just like, you know, how you can pick your buddies as Bitcoin peers and put them in the config file mm -hmm. um, so that you're always connected to those people uh, on top of the random people. I can take my Neutrino wallet and I can say, hey, connect to my Bitcoin node as opposed to random ones. And that also works. Okay. Um, and that actually makes it very similar to the current situation I have, which is the Electrum server thing. The only oh, okay. difference being that the only difference being that Electrum server is running as middleware, whereas Neutrino is simply a light client that connects directly to my Bitcoin node. So that's kind of cool in that regard. Would that then be an improvement as far as privacy? Uh, yeah, it, and it's also an improvement. Well, I mean, in a community setting where there's multiple people connecting, you're you're trusting whoever's actually running right. the server right if it's not you i'm at on a like a personal um, level to be able to use uh, a mobile wallet more privately right well so that that you know you have to weigh do i trust electrum or do i trust light client i'm using right um generally like since Neutrino is sort of a Lightning Labs thing, like I tend to trust them because Lightning Labs has been a huge thing for Lightning and all of that. And I use their stuff and it works. Um, but, you know. I guess, too, since um, 158 is actually like, you know, a BIP instead of just like, something that runs separately like Electrum, it's probably got more eyes on it because it's part of Bitcoin, like in the improve it's because because it is a, a Bitcoin improvement proposal as opposed to just like a separate piece of software. Okay. Yeah. So so there's that argument. Like if you're gonna go with someone who can't read code, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I guess the the difference would be I don't I don't know how easily you can find uh, wallets that like mobile wallets that support Neutrino versus mobile wallets where you can connect to your own Electrum server. I haven't, I don't know, right? What option, what wallets have either of those options, right? Well, that's the thing, yeah. Like, I have no idea which wallets have Neutrino or whether or not it's still in development. And I don't know if because I know a lot of um, Lightning stuff, like I said, Phoenix and Breeze are using Neutrino. Um, actually, maybe not Phoenix. It might just be Breeze. Um, with random nodes, so it's kind of hard to. 
I don't know about like regular Bitcoin wallets, like on-chain Bitcoin wallets that use it. Okay. It's it's mostly been a basis to make Lightning wallets more sovereign on your phone. Gotcha. Okay. Um, That's cool. And I've solved that. Yeah, it is. Um, But I've solved that problem by simply remote controlling my Lightning node that's running at my house using Zap. Yeah, so. definitely a good option when you when you've got your own lightning node and you uh manage yeah. it appropriately. Yeah. And I eventually I'd like to get away from that um because you have to trust that the connection data for your lightning node because like the it's called a gRPC or LND rest, those are the two different ways to connect to my LND node. Um and both of those give you, you know, godlike control of the node. And having that on my phone is a little sketch for the, like, if there's malware and I don't know what the storage protocol is like for that data. So it's it's basically just like running any other hot wallet on your phone. You have to trust that, like, no one is getting into your phone and stealing your keys. Right. And that is essentially a key. Um. Whereas I guess using a, um, like if I wanted to have like a full-blown lightning node at my house that's well-connected and stuff, and then just make a channel to myself on a lightning node running on my phone, then I could send back and forth to myself. And in that case, you know, the quote-unquote key for the lightning node at my house is safe. It's just the one on the phone that's hot. Yeah. You know, hot, hot. Um, Whereas the one at my house, it's hot because it's turned on and connected to the internet, but it's not hot because it's not as hot as the phone because it's only doing that thing. It's not being used to play games or, you know, download other apps. Um, let's see. So this one's interesting. The Bit, the Bitcoin Tech Weekly site that you linked. Uh-huh. Um, She's got some interesting stuff. I'll I'll just read it really quick because it's really quick. But um, this was published May of 2018. Um, and it's just the piece kind of explaining some stuff going on with BIP 158. Um, and that seems they like these guys, that's all they do. They just post like a quick newsletter about what's going on with developments. So uh, at Corallo via Bitcoin Dev. Um, BIP 158 currently includes the following in the basic filter. One, transaction IDs. Two, output scripts. And three, input input prev outs. Prev as in previous. Um, I believe one could be skipped entirely. There's almost no reason why you'd not be able to filter for, uh, e.g., the set of output scripts in a transaction you know about. And two and three may want to be split out. Many wallets may wish to just find transactions paying to them as transactions spending from their outputs should generally be things they've created. BIP-158, call that extends BIP-157, is a structure of compact filters on block data that replaces Bloom filters. The purpose of such a system is to enable users to run light Bitcoin clients to verify transactions dealing specifically with their wallets. The issue at hand are juggling efficiency with security, i.e. verifying honest nodes and detecting dishonest nodes. In the email exchanges, core developer Gregory Maxwell responded, 
I think light clients cross-checking is something which very likely will never be implemented by anyone and probably not stay working due to under usage if it is implemented. His position was that because other light clients had taken shortcuts and been safe, it was reasonable to do so with their implementation. This was pointed out by Jim Posen, the Coinbase guy. If the protocol can provide clients the option of getting additional security, it should. On the general topic, Peter makes a good point that in many cases, filtering by transaction ID of spending transaction may be preferable to filtering by outpoint spend, which has the nice benefit that there are obviously fewer transactions in a block than transaction ends. This wouldn't work for malleable transactions, though. Maxwell later approved the suggested changes. I think dropping transaction IDs, as Matt suggests, as an, is an obvious win that costs nothing. Replacing inputs with scripts, as I suggested, has some trade-offs. So in the long run, we could be seeing light Bitcoin, Bitcoin clients that only need to download 32-bit filters per each block in order to identify transactions relevant to their wallets. So I guess I'm curious if I can find out really quick what the actual what they said the data size was on yeah, the filters. I, I before recall that. it being in the Lightning Labs piece. Okay. Each filter header is 32 bytes, and the total amount of bandwidth required is around 20 megabytes. Um, that's the filter header. Which, I think okay, it was in so, what you read that the um, the data requirements on an ongoing basis would be like 70 meg a month. Yeah, um, that was in, well, yeah, so this article is, well, this article is from later than the other one, so I'm going to assume it's more up to date. Thirty-two bit filters per each block in order to identify transactions relevant to their wallet. Yeah, that sounds like it got it did get implemented. So, huh? I don't know. I mean, it's neat. I guess I just haven't actually seen a like a regular Bitcoin wallet that uses it, and everything just seems to be more about um, making better Lightning wallets. Yeah, it seems to that's be why where Lightning Labs is interested in it. Yeah, that's where development's pointed at this point, especially as it relates to Neutrino. But I'd be interested to see if I could find. Uh, you know, uh, I'd be interested to see if I could find, uh, you know, a reasonably well-known Bitcoin wallet that uses like a full Bitcoin wallet that uses Neutrino. Right. Um. trying to remember what the medium articles were Let's see yeah. hmm i lost it cuz i have my transaction his or <laughs> transaction history i have my Search history set to uh, delete every time I close Firefox, and I definitely closed it earlier. Rip. So I don't even I don't even have links to those Medium articles, but guy was basically saying like 
you know, if everybody got on Neutrino, then, you know, nobody would be verifying blocks anymore, and you would end up with uh, the miners basically doing everything, and bad. <laughs> so, he was saying, like, e every Neutrino user is diluting his sovereignty by incentivizing this, and I'm like, I don't know, bro, like, that like the barrier to entry to run your own node is pretty low, so I don't really see how anyone's hurting you. Yeah, and um, I, I think, I mean, like, I, I, I guess I get his point. Like, if you're moving from a full node to just Neutrino, I think that would be dumb, and I can understand his point there, but this is typically people who would not have, like, if they were not using Neutrino, they would just be relying on a centralized third party. Right. Yeah, that's that's the way I think of it. Like, it's like when people talk about Lightning and say, like, oh, um, you're going to end up with these centralized hubs where you connect to someone else's Lightning node to use it because it's too hard to do all this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, but the like, there are going to be a lot of people that probably use like LND Hub to make an account on someone else's node, but uh, the barrier to entry to like have a Lightning node and make channels that circumvent large hubs is so low like if i have a payment that doesn't go through and you can say oh look you're being censored it's like okay i can make a channel directly with the person that i'm trying <laughs> to interact with right and then we'll just leave the channel open because clearly it's routing around something that's blocking us yeah so it's not it can be that easy it's just weird it's so weird it's like wait you mean that when I'm on Lightning every once in a while, I might have to go back to an on-chain transaction, and then I'm back on Lightning again. Like, okay. Yeah, so I think people are missing missing the forest for the trees. Yeah, yeah, they're they're just, I don't know, they see any kind of, like, you know, like, um, what do they call that? Uh, rhizomatic structures, like, yeah, there's going to be concentrations, but that doesn't mean that, like, like the physical distance or the the capital infusion or any of that into a lightning node is not what makes it centralized, you know. Sure. It's like it's like when people argue that if if you have more bitcoin then you have more control over bitcoin and it's like no, actually like how much bitcoin you have is completely irrelevant to the network. Right. So oh, not a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and that uh, leads into the thing that my coworker said. So uh, I said something about uh, oh, I don't try to remember. Somebody brought it up, and then I said something, and then this guy goes, uh, you know, I bought in when it was like five thousand dollars, and then uh, it got up to sixty-five, and I bailed out because I was like, this is a bubble, and then. You know, and I'm sitting here like, oh, so you're one of the reasons that the price is down because people like you freaked out and dipped, right? Yeah. Like, and and he, but he's he's acting proud that he bitched out, right? Yeah. Uh, Lettuce hands. Yeah, and then so uh, he says, uh, yeah, Bitcoin can't work because um, the government is buying all the Bitcoin and then dumping it. So the government is a whale, basically, is what he's saying, and they're buying all the Bitcoin. And then they're dumping it on the market, letting the price get high, and then they're leaving us holding the bags, which is just not happening. Like, 
I guarantee you that's not what it is because if you go listen to that Tom Woods episode with Guy Swan and Stefan Levera, they did a really good job of explaining what was going on currently, which is that we have a nine month period of multiple stablecoin companies going out of business because they suck at their jobs. Yeah. And they're selling off their Bitcoin and it took nine months. It's not like it took like if if they were pumping and dumping, you know, they would dump it. They wouldn't spend nine months dumping it. Right. Like that's the same as like if the Federal Reserve actually cleaned up their balance sheet. Right. Like if the Federal Reserve actually sold off like some of the properties they repoed or, you know, like some of the federal land that they bought and they actually started selling it. That would be a huge problem. Right. But they're not doing that. And that's the same with Bitcoin. Like it's it's literally the same concept. And they're, they don't do that. And the reason is because they buy things so they can monetize their debt. They buy those right. assets as collateral for their debt. If they sold them off, they would ruin the markets and they would be shit out of luck on like their debt. So yeah. that's not how inflation works. They're backing themselves into a corner. No, they're not going to sell off like that. It's just that's. But uh, this is how the government ends up owning everything, too, because they're slowly going to keep buying things in the market to try to prop the market up and to also as the debt, because that's what they do. Um, are you should own Bitcoin? Correct. Because if Bitcoin becomes money, right? If if governments start holding Bitcoin, then Bitcoin actually becomes money at that point, right? Just like gold was. So, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, with your own keys. That's what I mean by holding Bitcoin. You're not holding Correct. Bitcoin if you don't have your keys. Yes. Just exactly. like if you're. If it's GBTC, it's literally paper Bitcoin. If it's Coinbase, it's an IOU for Bitcoin from Coinbase, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And as I learned, contrary to Bitcoin Magazine's bullshit, uh, Bitcoin on PayPal is also paper Bitcoin. You cannot withdraw. Yep. You cannot withdraw. That's so stupid. Um. Let me see what I'll just I'll just look up what I wrote on uh Fiddy about it and I'll just read it because I thought it was a good one. Sure. And I'll wrap up me... with uh privacy properties from the Bitcoin wiki in relation to client side block filtering. Sure. Um here we go. So the U.S. dollar consistently destroys lives. It pays for the war on drugs, mass incarceration, world empire, and mass theft perpetrated against the American people by banks who then get bailed out with more of those same dollars. But tell me more about how Bitcoin just can't work because of the volatility. We all see what you think working looks like. Amen. Yeah, and that's that's what I say to anybody who thinks you know volatility or any of that has anything to do with whether or not Bitcoin works. It's a network. Right? Yep, and it's working. Still running. Yep. All right. Go for it. Shoot. Uh, so the privacy privacy properties come from a few features. This is uh, in relation to BIP 157 over BIP 37. Wallet addresses are never sent to any other entity, even indirectly. Implementing wallets would download full blocks just like any other node on the Bitcoin P2P network. So peers may not realize the downloaded blocks are important. Blocks are the natural unit of pagination for the blockchain. 
Implementing wallets can download full blocks in parallel from several different nodes, but an internet service provider could still see all the downloaded blocks, obviously. Each block typically has a few thousand addresses in it, so there's a large anonymity set for which individual addresses for which individual address caused a filter match. Filters have a po false positive rate, so not every downloaded block indicates a filter match. Each of these, um, this is now me no longer reading from the article. Each of these is a, like, each point is meant to draw contrast to the bit 37, the way that it was out, laid out. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that system a lot better, like just actually going and getting the current block rather than, you know, trusting someone else to give you information about a specific transaction or a random set of transactions. It's, yeah, exactly. it's just better. Just go get the block, look at the block yourself, like, yeah. Sorry for that, dog. No worries. Um, one last thing. Apparently, as I'm seeing from the YouTube notifications, today is Bitcoin Independence Day. I don't know what that means, but happy Bitcoin Independence Day. You should look it up. On-air research, everybody's favorite. On-air research? Oh, I was just suggesting for the audience, but yeah, we could do that too. I don't care. No, I'm doing it now. All right. Okay. First Bitcoin Independence Day was slated for August 1st, 2017. When Bitcoin users plan to de deploy a software upgrade through a user-activated software via BIP148, which they hoped would mark a community-based victory in the years-long block size wars by activating SegWit. So, August 1st, 2017. I guess was the the date of SegWit activation. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because um, SegWit two X was done on the mining side, so Bitcoin independence. Yeah, be a part of the network and take control of you know what you run on your computer. That's it's a really great thing. Cool beans. Yeah. So I guess that there it is. That yep. was independence. <laughs> Even though it's the not actually the day that upgrade. SegWit was, uh, it's not the date that SegWit was actually activated. Oh, really? Well, it might have been when they started it. I don't know. The started Bitcoin Magazine article, saying so they were going to. I don't take know. it with a grain of salt. But from the Bitcoin <laughs> Magazine article, uh, it said that was the date that users pointed toward as an Independence Day because it was the date that SegWit was expected to be implemented, and it didn't end up being... Uh, implemented until August 24th. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, in any case, it's a good day. Fair enough. I had fun today. It's a good day. Yeah. Fun is good. Alright, I'm going to get out of here before she keeps getting more worked up. So. Yep. Sounds good. Yep. Cheers, guys. Peace and love. Later.